Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a lot to unpack, but I want to go back just to the beginning for a sec because you made a, a very wise decision that most Americans don't make, and you bought multifamily right away. Um, because, you know, most times in, you know, in our communities, it's like we save enough money to buy the home that we can afford yeah. or the dream home that we think we can afford and we realize later that we can't. But you started with multifamily right away. Was that the strategy all along as you had been seeing people do that as, that, as a way of having passive income? Yeah, that was definitely my objective in that we wanted to, uh, you know, when you think about it, right, the fundamental equation is this. Most people buy into that American dream, right, where, you know, if you take a person, they go out and buy a home, they save all their money, they buy a single family home, they move into it. For the next 30 years, most of the disposable income is going to pay that mortgage. That's it. But if they just did something a little bit differently, buy a couple of income generating assets first. Right. In the case I was talking about, uh, when I bought my first multifamily, I mean, that was making me between eight hundred and thousand dollars a month. So they'll call it a thousand dollars a month. Uh, if you're making sixty grand and you buy a multifamily house and you can make yourself an extra thousand dollars a month, you've given yourself a twenty percent raise, mm-hmm. right? And you can do that repeatedly. And the more assets you have that are generating income for you, the easier it is to buy your next one and your next one, right? It's like getting off of that point of inertia. But if you choose to buy a single family home and move into it, I think, you know, it's not as lucrative and it's not the wealth generating uh, instrument that investment properties are. So let's, let's get into this real estate development conversation. 
for somebody that's looking to become a real estate developer right now, right? What advice would you would you give them in order to? Because I understand that it's not necessarily easy to get into the game, and it's all about relationships a lot of times. So, what advice would you give to somebody that's looking to become a real estate developer? So, the first thing is just learn the equation, right? Because you could do the equation uh, on a multifamily, three family, which most people can have a level of access to. But it's that same equation, that same the same mechanics that go into doing a development deal. Granted, the variables change a little bit because if you get into development, you have to take on some different risks. Uh, but you're basically buying an asset. Uh, you're investing money in it. You're um, starting with a multifamily, like a three-family. You're going to learn things like how to do maintenance, right? When, when that toilet gets backed up, you're going to learn something about plumbing. You're going to learn something about electrical. And folks should not be scared to, you know, take on the challenge because everything you learn increases your knowledge base. And when you, when, the more knowledge you have, the more you're able to monetize your situation. So, um, you know, I would encourage folks to start small. So start with a, an operating property first, right, a multifamily. Learn the mechanics. Down the road, you may want to say, you know, I'm going to buy a brownstone or some other home that you can actually renovate and reposition. You, I mean, we, everyone watches HGTV and those kind of things. You see people doing flips. That's another aspect of, you know, uh, in real estate investing, real estate development that is achievable and accessible for most people. But if you do that, you learn how to, you know, contract with an electrician, how to get the plumbing redone in the house, how to, you know, put get a new roof put on. All the things that you basically do when you develop, but you're learning it in, in a little bit of a safer scenario. And once you, um, you know, you go from uh, crawling to walking, you can run. Yeah. So that that crawling process, I'm imagining now as you're interning, well, interning for free, right? You're, you're saying, can I help this firm? Take us through that process of what you're learning, what are you seeing, the negatives and positives of this space that you're now in, and to that moment where you now see your name at the bottom of the <clears> of the bag, and you're like, wait, my name next to be next to be needs to be next to the bigger figures on this. What's that process like for you? You mean going from just like starting to learn? Well, it's really just desire, man. Like, you know, really wanting to learn it. You think about um, what this opportunity represented for me was, you know, to actualize a dream and being an entrepreneur. And so I was intent on learning everything. So, uh, you know, why I stayed with that developer for for free for two years, because I wanted to learn and I wanted to soak up everything like a sponge. So... My background is in finance. I have two degrees in finance, a uh, bachelor's and a master's, and I worked as an investment banker. So I came to the table with really strong financial acumen. So the, um, you know, the math in real estate is simple math. And it's, you don't have to be an investment banker. You don't have to have an MBA to do it. It's simple math because the income is generated from people paying rent. You have operating expenses and you have cash flow. So it's really a simple equation. Um, development goes a little bit deeper because you have to take something that's not generating any income and put it through a process where you're going to borrow some capital, uh, both debt and equity. You're going to hire an architect, maybe do some entitlement work so that you can have the right zoning or whatever you need to build. Then you're going to go through the process of actually constructing something. A little bit more risky, but once you get your wheels under you, you can do this. And so learning all of those different aspects, you know, the financing component, uh, being very uh, focused on project management, so making sure the um, our 
plans were getting done on time and, you know, the legal documents that we needed around developments were also moving along and are structured properly. Um, there's a lot of engagement in what I do now with municipalities because when we're developing affordable housing, it can't be done without the participation and the support of government. And so there's a lot of what I think is undue bureaucracy in some markets uh, that you have to contend with, but then there are other markets that are easier to function in. And that is why as a company, we chose to expand out of New York City into several other markets where there really is tremendous demand for housing, both, you know, market rate, moderate income, and, you know, uh, affordable housing as well. So can you walk us through the development of, of a building? It could be in New York or out of New York. I know there's RFPs, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to get the financing. Right. Then, like you said, you have to get the architect, and you got to go through the permit process. So, yeah, can you kind of walk us through right. step by so step? Le- so let's start with a, a blank piece of dirt. Okay, so you have a piece of dirt, let's call it in Brooklyn, okay? And it's in a neighborhood that's turning over and uh, is improving. And I, as an investor, believe, you know what? I can put a building on that piece of dirt, call it 50 units, and uh, make money, right? So the process is, first of all, I see that piece of dirt. The first thing I want to do is what's called a zoning analysis. I want to understand What's the size of a building I could put on there? Can I actually put 50 units? Is it 55 units? Is it 60? Is it 45? I don't know. So an architect would be engaged. They'd conduct a zoning analysis. And what it does is reads the zoning code. And every municipality in the country has a zoning code. And it interprets the zoning code. And it gives you right there in a two, three, four-page report exactly what could be built, how high it could be, where the setbacks have to be, um, you know, how many dwelling units Uh, can be in that building, the size of every dwelling unit. So all these very technical features are codified in a document. So you can take that zoning analysis now and now go build a financial model, right? And that financial model is going to say, look, I have these 50 units. Some are studios, some are one bedroom, some are two bedrooms, and they generate X amount of income, right? Um, That the amount of income they generate has to also... um, be further reduced by the operating expense. So the superintendent has to clean the building or you know, service the residents. The porters have to take the garbage out and shovel the snow off the, off the front steps. You have to pay for electricity in the common areas. You have to pay your real estate taxes, whatever it is. So you do a financial model and you see you know, the revenue you can generate, the expenses associated against that project. And then what kicks out of that is what we call net operating income. That net operating income is what is used to service the debt, the mortgage on the building, right? So you can see just from a pro forma what NOI the building produces, and that NOI will tell you how much debt you can raise. So um, you're, and you also want to have a, a project that, of course, can support the debt. So you know how much debt it could support. Now you look at, well, how much debt do I need to build it? And you're going to say, you know, that 50-unit building, um, when you become a little bit more seasoned, you, you kind of know what uh, construction costs are. But for folks who aren't, you can literally take your plans, talk to a builder, say, hey, I'm building this building. It's going to be block and plank or it's going to be um, poured in place concrete, steel frame, whatever construction methodology your structural engineer recommends. And you get a cost, right? A, pro- a cost projection for building the building. So that building, we'll just use some numbers, right? That um, Let's say to acquire the land, 
and to uh, build everything is going to be $10 million. And let's say at $10 million is uh, at 6% interest rate. So you know every month that's how much your mortgage payment has to be on that asset. So that NOI has to be in excess of that debt coverage, that, that debt number. We call that a debt service coverage ratio. So that um, DSCR probably needs to be minimum about 1.25. So meaning you want to have 125% of that mortgage number in your NOI. So you can comfortably cover the debt service. And then, then when you pay the debt service, the rest of it inures to cash flow. So when you're looking for, let's say, that plot of dirt, what like, are you doing a market analysis to see, like, all right, we're actually looking for a place to invest in this borough or in this city prior to it? Or are we, you know, looking at past investments that are going up in the neighborhood to say, all right, this is an opportunity for us to now create? No, that's actually a great question. So what you're really doing, you, you, you know, when you're looking at that particular opportunity, you, you're doing it so you're looking at it because there's probably something else already going on in that neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. And what we do is what's called a comp study. So I can call a, a real estate broker and say, give me a comp study for this zip code. So they're going to say, Craig, I'll email you this report and it'll have um, you know, five buildings, 10 buildings that are renting up in and around the neighborhood and it'll show me what the rents are in those buildings. So I can have a reasonable expectation as to what types of income are generated off that, off that, um, that asset. Now, in some markets uh, that we call transitional markets, you don't, it's not so clear, but you're taking a bet because let's say something fantastic is going on in that market, like they're bringing in a new train, you know, train station or uh, they're building a new stadium. And there's a reason why I believe there's going to be a lot of demand for real estate in that area. So we will um, you know, make an analysis and do an investment based on that. But in my business, since we do affordable housing, here's the thing. Affordable housing is real estate. It's, all, it's actually, it's real estate, but it's really a hybrid. It's really structured finance, right? Because we are offering units to rent at below market rate. So it almost doesn't matter what the market is because if a two bedroom is say 3000 in that market, I could bring it to, I could bring it to market for like say 1600, 1800, tremendous discount to make it much more affordable. And the demand for affordable housing is insatiable. You, we cannot build enough of it. I, I have to tell y'all, right now, in 2022, almost 2023, we have a 7 million unit housing deficit in this country. 7 million units. That means we could build for the next 10 years. We'd have to build for the next 10 years across the country just to satisfy that demand. And guess what? In 10 years, we're going to find out there's even more demand that, that occurred. And just to quantify that, 7 million uh, units of housing is about two and a half, three trillion dollars of economic opportunity. That's why our community has got to get on real estate because, you know, you can get your feet in. Not all of it's going to be, you know, thousand unit portfolios that are built in public-private partnerships. A lot of it will be people who choose to, um, you know, buy a plot of land in the city or take a vacant land that the city is RFPing and you know, build a three-family or four-family home on it. There's a lot of opportunity there. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. 
In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.